Hello, and welcome to my show, Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because our country suffers from IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. We have as our guest today, uh, lucky to have our guest today, uh, Perry Zern and Danny Bassett. They are authors of their book, Curious Minds, The Power of Connection. Are you all there? Yes, we're here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It really is. Uh, uh, you know, part of, part of this for me, um, I, I assume that they told you that uh, I also have twin sons. And um, of course, now you know they—they they just turned fifty-two last week. <laughs> <laughs> a little, a little older. Yeah. Yeah, a little older. That's right. Uh, but they—you uh, know—I—the I, memories are still there, and mm -hmm. I can ask you about some of those things to see if you guys had the same sort of uh, um, partnership, I should say. Um, Absolutely. Is it, it was it, uh, was the opportunity there that you then had when you were young and you started making noises? Uh, did you have you, did you create your own language? Did you have your own language? And, yes. and if you did so, how did you carry it on? How, how long was it that you, that you did that? We definitely had our own language um, and we spoke to one another in ways that other we understood and other people didn't. Um, right. And we also, I mean, even much longer than the length of time that that language lasted, we have been able to understand what each other is thinking and feeling in, in very uncanny ways. Um, and uh, so that sort of knowledge of one another, I think, has has stuck with us for much longer. But Perry, I don't know when when it ended. That's a good question. I'm not sure I can put a date to that. Yeah, I don't know. But one of the things that we like to talk about writing this book together as a as a new kind of shared language um, together, right. as we've we've sort of we've, we've been trained in two different fields, you know, Danny in, in neuroscience and physics, and me in philosophy and more humanities stuff. And uh, learning how to write together was kind of its own challenge. But I think we've come up with our own voice and it is it is really a new language. Well, it's, it's no surprise that you carry it with you. Uh, to some degree, uh, in that uh, you know, I I can still remember my my boys doing the same thing, uh, and, and it was uh, yeah 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 you know that's how it went uh, back and forth between those two you know, and it was and it uh, uh, it, it kind of it helped me because then you know certain certain things need to be done like food and, and diapers and things like that <laughs> but it was um uh you know they grew up with that you know for me i was lucky in that uh i was i coached all the sports i had a pitcher and a catcher i had an end and a and a and a, and a quarterback i had two point guards you know i had wherever it came I, I was working at it and and that that same kind of uh, what do we do next carries on. It carries on now. Um, and I'll stop talking about my, my, my own, but they they now live about four or five minutes apart. 
And that's a dream. Someday. <laughs> Someday. We're, we're, a little, we're a little jealous. <laughs> we live about two hours, which is not bad for being adults and having careers, but it still feels too far. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm with that. I'm with you. Um, but then again, you know, you never know. Uh, when you turn 52, you might be living together next door. <laughs> Goals. <laughs> when we're 52, we'll be four minutes apart. Oh, <laughs> Let's see. Um, in terms of using the language, and as, as you see, you the two of you interact in terms of the, the, the book is well put together. I, I, I read this morning, I read the preface and the introduction, uh, which was a big help for me uh, in knowing the, the uh, how you guys rotated on the on the chapters. That's 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 I, I can't hardly talk about it. It's it's it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> so you yeah, want to really enjoyed... go ahead. We really enjoyed having it be somewhat of a dialogue between our disciplines. Um, so I wrote the first chapter on the science of curiosity, and then Perry came um, sort of had a, a response in the second chapter on the philosophical takes. And then we continued back and forth. Um, but it's also the case that those were the initial people who drafted the chapters, but then we both went through each of our chapters and made edits and made suggestions and expanded things. Um, so what you what you find in the book still holds the scaffold of a dialogue, um, but feels as if it was written more by one person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perry? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we talked, you know, I, we should tell a little bit about the backstory of how we even came to this book, you know, yeah, I mean, we, we had a, that, we that were, comes next. <laughs> oh, okay, that comes next. Okay, yes. well, then go to the next and, and then I'll sort of tell more of the story. Well, when did you start? When did you get the idea? How how long had you been uh, at, looking at it, right, right at it? Uh, just go, go for it. Yeah, so we grew up uh, being homeschooled. So, which means in our case, anyway, we had an incredible amount of freedom um, in what we could learn and how we could learn it. It was very student-driven sort of learning uh, with very little kind of disciplinary trappings that would constrain what it is that we could ask and how we could ask it. And so um, that, that kind of freedom, I think, really connected us very, very deeply to curiosity itself. We ended up obviously, as as twins must, kind of define our differences a little bit as we come into mm -hmm. young adulthood. And so Danny, you know, was, went into physics and I went into philosophy, which in a sense are polar opposites, right? As far on into the sciences and into the humanities as you could get. But it turns out when you go that far, um, it's, it's almost <laughs> like going around the world, right? You actually get really, really close. So physics and philosophy have long been called themselves twin disciplines, oddly enough. Because really? they both try to answer really fundamental things about the world and about and about what it means for things to exist. And um, so as we were specializing in physics and philosophy, we, we started to talk, you know, in grad school and in Danny's kind of early uh, postdoc career about our interests. I was already studying the philosophy of curiosity. Danny was studying the neuroscience of um, neural flexibility or brain flexibility and how it contributed to learning. So we were already thinking about learning kind of in our own fields and curiosity specifically. And we thought, you know what, let's put our heads together. You know, two, two does tend to be better than one. Let's see what we sure. can come up with that would be a really transdisciplinary theory of curiosity. And, and that's what this book is. Well, uh, I can imagine 
the two of you working well together. <laughs> mm. Yes, uh, yes. It, it, it is, and it, and it shows. You know, it shows as you're here. Um, each of you is, um, I think, happy to to have done the book, and and especially now that it's launched. And mm. you're going to see a lot of the a lot of the books, a lot of a lot of interviews. I think and hope. Um, yeah, it's definitely something that was, I think, a high point of our careers thus far. It was, it was just, just a lot of fun. Well, let's hope that it goes on and 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 on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've really. It was just so wonderful to have an excuse to have to set up meetings, you know, with your <laughs> for work. <laughs> I mean, sure. I mean oh, yeah. that's just that's just fantastic. Yeah. Now the uh, the introduction. Uh, I wasn't able to write to, to read the whole book, but I intend to have my wife read it. She's uh she's an engineer from Cornell, and and she'll like this kind of a book. Um, I was breathe I was having to breathe hard just for for my you know to fuel my brain when I was I was going through it, um, and I had my phone with me uh, for the dictionary. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of words in there for an old man. <laughs> yeah, it's our, it's we happen to love words, and we both happen to love dictionaries and collect them on our own. Um, uh -huh. So it's one of our shared our shared habits. Uh, so I, I I do you do see that a little bit in the book, our love of words. Well, it's just creative. It's all it is, just creative. Now let's talk about chapter one. Um, the science of curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. So the science of curiosity is, is really exciting right now. Um, and I'll focus mostly, I guess, on the neuroscience of curiosity. The questions that are being asked um, include, for example, is there a piece of the brain that is the curiosity piece of the brain so that when you're curious, there's one piece of the brain that lights up and you can see it on an, on a MRI scan and, um, you could sort of write that story up in the New York Times and, and it would be nice and clean. Um, however, it turns out that the science of curiosity is more complicated. There isn't a single piece of the brain that lights up when you're curious. There's actually a whole set of different brain regions, almost like a constellation um, and interesting patterns of connections between those regions that light up um, or are used when you are curious. So one of the things that the field is doing right now is trying to figure out what each piece does and why it's that set of regions and not some other set of regions. Um, and the answers are so far pretty complicated. So in fact, there are some people in the field of curiosity who are sort of throwing up their hands and saying, oh, curiosity is sort of too complicated. Um, and in particular, we don't really know what the definition of curiosity is. So how do we mm -hmm. define uh, laboratory experiments that will drive curiosity and not something else like motivation or creativity or, or insight or innovation? How do we separate these things? Um, so um, reaching that point where scientists are sort of throwing up their hands and saying, maybe we don't even know what this thing is yet, drove me to sort of have a lot more curiosity about Perry's discipline in philosophy and think, is it the case that there is a definition in philosophy that would help us as scientists to more carefully um, clarify our laboratory experiments? And maybe then we will see a little bit more in the neuroimaging data that we can understand. So that is sort of the, uh, that's where we get to at the end of chapter one to say, mm, science is sort of a little bit stuck here. Maybe philosophy can help. Well, maybe so. 
What do you say, Perry? Yeah, I said a, a resounding yes. Happy to help. Uh, so the wonderful thing about philosophy is that we can analyze, you know, definitions of curiosity that are thousands and thousands of years old. And um, I was able to go back. And although we see a very regular kind of characterization of curiosity as this desire to acquire new pieces of information, right? You Google something because you want to know something in particular. There's also a more fundamental uh, definition in philosophy, and that is that curiosity is um, a capacity to connect ideas and experiences. Mm -hmm. So that's really, that ends up being the, the foundation of our book for the, the rest of the chapters going forward. Curiosity is a capacity to connect. So you can imagine, um, I might see an acorn, I might see a squirrel, but the minute that I put two and two together, that I make a connection, um, that acorns are fuel for squirrels, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Then, then I understand. I have been curious enough to to develop a level of knowledge about the two things. They're not just separate facts, kind of floating in my brain, but that now they're actually understanding and knowledge because I've built a connection right. through curiosity. So that's that's what we propose in the book is a new definition of curiosity as capacity to connect. Chapter two, curiosity as edge work. What? That's that's your department, I guess. If if uh, Danny had the chapter one, what's an edge work? Tell me what edge work is. Yeah, so this is how we describe precisely that that redefinition I was just describing. We say curiosity is this capacity to connect. Another way to say that is that it's edge work. Now, the word edge we're using in a specific way. It's not like you go to the edge of the world and fall off it, right? It's not that kind of edge. Rather, we're talking about the edges that make up networks. Think of a social network. Think of your relationship with your friends. The yeah. people in the social network are called nodes in network theory. So the people are the nodes and the relationships between the people are the edges. So when we say curiosity uh -huh. is edge work, we mean that curiosity builds relationships of understanding between concepts and ideas and experiences. Interesting, interesting. Did uh... Did Aura's approach that edge edge work? Aura, I don't know Aura. what uh, that what Aura is. Aura, uh, people uh, as children, people see colors in people around them, certain ways, certain auras, uh, and um, as we as children grow up, they don't use it. So they forget about it. And by the time they're, you know, four years old, five years old, you know, they're, they're moving on in this, whatever it is, anti-aura <laughs> anti <laughs> society, um, because you can tell the disp disposition of someone uh, re regarding that. Um, and if they're kind or if they're not, uh, you know, it's, uh, and the colors will show it. And, and and children even today, if they're young enough, they'll if there's a if there's a bad person near them, they'll start crying. They'll start crying. And if there's another person that's, that's also is happy, then they are also happy. You know, they smile. I mean, I in restaurants, I always smile at the kids, and they smile back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this um, is such a good this is such a good point because I think I think it shows that children have this curiosity capacity to make connections in the world mm -hmm. some of which they might forget how to make 
that, I mean, I think that's part of what you're bringing up with re, with respect to the auras. So we, I think we can have uh, instinctive capacities of curiosity that allow us to put two and two together and imagine connections and see connections and experience connections that might mm -hmm. be dulled by certain forms of education. Okay, chapter three, the network paradigm. Yeah, so once you start thinking about curiosity's capacity to connect ideas and connect people, then you want to ask the question as a scientist, how do I take that back into science and how do I understand um, where, where, what kinds of connections people are making? So I want you to imagine for a second that you're looking at the Eiffel Tower. Um, and there's a connection between each of the rods that's present in the Eiffel Tower. And now I want you to imagine that you're looking at a telecommunications um, uh, scaffold here in America. And you know that that um, that the scaffold for the telecommunications um, piece is quite different in its architecture than the Eiffel Tower. But if I asked you exactly how they're different, you would have to tell me something about the pattern of connections between the rods, right? So an interesting question for us is, is there a way for us to describe different patterns of connections between rods, in that case, between people, between ideas, between concepts? And if we can, then that would help us to understand how different people are curious differently. And it turns out that there's a beautiful new mathematical language uh, that allows us to talk about these connection patterns and it's called network science. So what we do is that we use network science to understand and quantify and characterize uh, scientifically the patterns of connections between ideas that each of us have. One example of how we have this pattern of connections between ideas um, is uh, one where you can ask how your mind moves from idea to idea. So for example, you can do what's called a free association task, which is where you start with an idea and then move to the next available idea in your mind, whatever occurs to you. So you might start with squirrel and then acorn and then nut and then peanut allergies and then um, medicine and then surgery. And then I don't know where you go from there. Um, but this pattern of connections is something that your mind is doing all the time. And that walking process is actually illustrating for you how ideas are connected in your mind. So chapter three is really about trying to understand how ideas are connected in your mind using right. network science. Right, right. Good definition. It says here, construct uh, testable hypotheses for future empirical work. Yes. That kind of sums up the chapter. chapter. Okay, Perry, you're up. Chapter four. Curiosity's got style. Yeah, so once we have all of this on the table, right, the curiosity is actually a capacity to make connections. And um, we can understand this from a network perspective and building knowledge networks in our brains. Then the question is, well, if if curiosity allows us to build connections, you know, if you look at architectures all over our world, there are different styles. There's different how, kinds of houses, there's sure. different, different styles of buildings, there's different styles of bridges. You know, when we start to build things, we typically build them in different ways. And the same is true of knowledge. So we wanted to really focus in on some of the differences in how each of us uses our curiosity and builds our knowledge together. And so we identify three different styles. 
the first is the uh, butterfly, who's somebody um, who loves to know anything and everything about anything. I mean, they're just curious that without um, without curiosity, without walls, you know. Uh, and they're the sort of person who probably has a lot of tabs open on their computer, um, is constantly talking and chatting with other people. That's how they get their information. So that's the butterfly. Then there's the hunter, who's someone who's far more focused, tends to be more of a loner, you know, somebody who really wants to know a lot about a little and get some real expertise on it. And they're hard to distract from that focus. And lastly, there's the dancer. And the dancer is somebody who's really creative uh, about their curiosity. They like to ask the what if, why not, let's try it kinds of questions. Um, and they're the ones who tend to be the most innovative of the of the three. So those are the three that we, uh, three styles that we uh, explore together. Right. I even saw some hand-drawn pictures in the book on a, on a page with those. And it's on the cover. If you look at it's on the cover as well. Front cover. Um, let's see. Danny, chapter six. Curiosity yes. takes a walk. Does that mean they're, um, they're got a 15 minute break or something? <laughs> Curiosity takes a walk is actually one of Perry's. Um, I think. The oh, in it is. Yeah. In between the styles of curiosity. Oh, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Let's back up. That's fine. Chapter five. I, I jumped webs ahead. Of webs of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry. webs of. No, 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 don't worry at all. So Webs of Knowledge talks a little bit about if we have these three styles of curiosity that Perry has excavated from the philosophical literature over the past 2000 years, we can ask, are those styles the same that we have today? Or is it the case, for example, that technology has ruined us forever and there's no possibility that we have the same curiosity that people had 2000 years ago, right? So that's an interesting question to ask. So what we do um, together actually is that we have a set of um, research projects that have tried to uh, try to determine whether we have those same styles of curiosity. I should mention actually that the work, the seven years of research went into this book actually, um, and 23 scholarly articles together. So we've wow. been working on this for a long time. Um, but this was all this particular part was also done in collaboration with David Lydon Staley, who's a professor of communications at Penn. And what he did is that he had participants um, browse Wikipedia for 15 minutes a day for 21 days. And we cataloged which Wikipedia pages they were moving between. And then we could ask, are they moving between similar Wikipedia pages? Are they hunting down one particular piece of information along a track? Or are they bouncing around kind of more like the butterfly um, and going from Wikipedia page to Wikipedia page that are, that are not related at all? So for example, from the page for rhododendrons to the page for um, jute boxes. And so what we find is that humans today are browsing Wikipedia in a diversity of ways, but, but along a continuum from people who are very busybody-like, making sort of much larger leaps between pages, to people who are much more hunter-like. So people who are walking between pages that are more similar. For example, spending all 21 days focusing on work uh, or pages about the royal family, or spending all 21 days on pages about Jewish history, for example. Mm -hmm. So what we find is that these archetypes that Perry has, or styles that Perry excavated from uh, previous literatures are definitely alive and well today. Um, so technology has not ruined us forever. I say that to <laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
Perry, chapter six, curiosity takes a walk. Yeah, so here um, I wanted to dig back into the many, many um, years of folks um, thinking about curiosity and walking. So, I mean, if you think about environmentalists, uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson or Henry Thoreau, right? People who go out into the woods to explore, to think, to imagine a different way of being. There's just this long, long, long tradition of, of thinking of walking as a way of being curious and also mm -hmm. of being curious as a way of walking. So um, we want to kind of tease out that double, double relationship. And so one of the things that I propose in this chapter is that when we're, when we're curious, we're actually walking into new landscapes of ideas, right? Right. We're, we're really trying to explore new mountains, new valleys of ideas, of ways of looking at the world. Curiosity is a way of walking intellectually. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that that's a helpful, it's helpful in all kinds of ways, but in particular, it helps us think about the places we can walk are all very different. There's lots of geographies and topologies of ideas in which we can walk. And then each of us might take a different path through that landscape. And that allows us to talk about, again, the diversity of curiosity, that some of us, when it comes to trying to learn math, for example, are gonna take a different path than other folks. And this thing, different paths are gonna work for different students. And, and that seems helpful as a framework. Well, it's, uh, I was looking here, some of the environmental walk, political walk, spiritual walk, a lot of things can come about with this and for this. Um, okay, Danny, chapter seven, your brain on curiosity. Mm, yeah, so this is where we have a chance to sort of go back to the beginning of the book and ask with this new definition of curiosity about you know, that it's a power to connect ideas and people, does that help us to rethink which brain regions are important and how your brain actually allows you to be curious? So it turns out that there are, there's some beautiful work coming out of the field that shows um, that there are pieces of your brain that encode whether two ideas or objects are connected with one another, and also by, by how far away they are from one another. So when Perry says that when we are thinking, we're taking a walk, through an idea space. Mm -hmm. What we find in the neuroscience is that people are moving through ideas that have particular distances and that are connected or not connected. And that's all encoded in a piece of the brain that's called the hippocampus. The hippocampus, interestingly, is also the region of the brain that helps us to navigate physical space. So mm -hmm. um, it's the piece of the brain that helps us to navigate trails on the local mountain or navigate um, roadways in our town. Well, it turns out that's also the region that helps us to um, think through the connections and distances between ideas. So it helps us sort of, to sort of walk in idea space. Good, good. I like it. Uh, I don't like walking down the hall, though, because I miss... <laughs> Missed miss the, the door, you know? It was open partially. <laughs> uh, okay, final chapter, Perry. Reimagining yeah. education. Yeah, in this final chapter, we really want to think about why what we're saying matters for sort of everyday life, right? And so we really focus on education in the closing chapter. 
if curiosity is a capacity to make connections, and if we all make those connections between ideas in different ways, then our classrooms, right, our spaces of learning and education need to be equipped to handle that kind of diversity of ways of making knowledge. And right now we would say they aren't. So um, whether we're talking about preschool, K through 12, uh, college, where we work, right, um, mm -hmm. typically professors and teachers kind of cater to one or two ways of knowing or being curious. And they don't really appreciate the incredible variety of ways of being curious that are represented in their own classrooms. And so we make a final call in this last chapter to say, we need to, we need to open our minds a little bit more and to think about the many, many different ways in which people are curious, the many different uh, kind of learning capacities and learning differences that are represented in our students. Um, and, and we need to expand our pedagogical methods accordingly. Right, right. I got that. Well, um, Danny, uh, we're out of chapters, but you can tell my audience and my listeners where they can go to find your book. It's uh, Absolutely, yeah. So the book is called Curious Minds, The Power of Connection, and you can get it on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, from your local bookshop, um, from MIT Press, which is the publisher. So anywhere you typically get your books is where you can find um, Curious Minds, The Power of Connection. Well, it certainly is a, uh, it's a piece of work. And what, what's exciting about it is that there's a lot more to come, uh, a lot more to come. And the more the more that comes, the more it's just it just picks up uh, inertia is how it works for me. And I'm glad that uh, both of you guys are uh, are it. You know, it's uh, it's a good thing. And I'm glad to have you uh, as my guest today. Um, very much so. Had a good time. Um, my listeners, I'm glad they tuned in, too. And I want to thank my listeners for tuning tuning in. and for searching for integrity and uh, so long and happy trails to all. <laughs>